Thanks so much, Carissa. Excited to be here with y'all. I saw some of y'all yesterday at Cry for Peace. I just want to thank everyone that was a part of Cry for Peace. You can give yourself and others a big round of applause. Uh, you can do it. Let's go. It's a really special time to honor families that have gone through uh, the loss of someone due to homicide, to gather together, to have a kind of resilience, to say, we're going to cry out, meaning lament. We're also going to cry out, meaning yell, and to raise our voices for peace in our city. And you can actually see we have some peace lilies up here. These are peace lilies that we uh, are going to give to families who have been impacted uh, through gun violence. And yesterday we actually walked from the seven different uh, neighborhoods to the green uh, to cry for peace together. And Mayor Ellicker was there, some other people from the city were there, and we are not done yet. So we'll have a meeting tomorrow at my house at eight to celebrate what we've done, to think about next steps, and then also to figure out, uh, we're gonna have a meeting with uh, the Department of Resilience. It's a new department for New Haven uh, Community Resilience to talk about some of the things that we asked for, uh, which they actually said, these are good. Let's actually do this together. So if you want to be part of that, you can come over to my house, 8 p.m., talk to me, uh, I guess, after this for some more details. Um, so we're in uh, our series, Asking God. I just want to share a quick story with you. Uh, about 12 years ago, I was making a very, very important decision. And I was very nervous about that decision and very terrified in some ways. I was deciding whether I was going to ask Tina, my now wife, to be my wife. Um, so I was uh, a little bit nervous, and you know, honestly, it had more to do with me than Tina. If you know Tina, Tina's dope. She's great. She's amazing. She's phenomenal. So this was more about me. Was I ready for such a commitment? Was I ready to take this next step? And in a lot of ways, was I ready for change? I've been a, been a pretty independent person uh, up until that point. Uh, if you know a little bit about my story, um, I was uh, raised in Iowa, so, you know, independence has a little bit of a streak there. There's not that many people around. I was also bullied in Iowa, so for 12 years, had a little bit more of an internal reality because either I was physically alone because I wasn't at parties, I wasn't at the gatherings, or even if I was other people, I was still kind of alone uh, in my head, you know, in my own world. And what I was doing in that world, too, partly, not all the time, but I was actually developing uh, a relationship with God. I wouldn't call it a mature relationship, but I was connecting with God. I was talking with God. I was uh, trying to ask this God to protect me in a hard time, in a difficult time. And I don't know if you maybe have this experience or maybe you've connected with other people. I think actually a lot of people who wouldn't call themselves Jesus followers, I think many of them are in places like this where they have like an internal loop a little bit or track with this higher power, with this God, maybe even with Jesus because they're processing their life with someone other than themselves. But it's kind of like, you know, who they're praying to, what they're thinking about. I think that's more true than we know, and that was true for me. I really loved this kind of life with God I had. And I was wondering, what will it mean to connect with someone and then to share that? And I actually really like the way I'm connecting with God, like sort of around other people, because I can connect with God here, but I can connect with people more like this way, like kind of a little bit like held off, but still processing my life with God, and I realized, Tina's not really like that. She's kind of a people person. I'm going to have to know people in the way that she knows people and loves people, which I was grateful for for my connection, but I was a little bit like, she's a little too friendly with other people. This is going to be a little weird. I'm going to have to know people in a whole different way. Uh, and if you've been tracking with our series, you can see how you can develop this life with God that's really strong, really powerful, really connected, 
We've been asking God about God, about who God is, about who God is not, about where God is. We've been asking God about ourselves. You know, what's the point? Am I okay? And it turns out when you ask those questions, you develop like a life with God, where you know God is with you, even if you're scared. You know you can ask God about things that you're dealing with, even if you're still unsure kind of what they are, you don't know everything. You know God is good, God's like a loving parent. You know God's present, maybe even and especially in times of suffering. You can really develop this life together with God. That actually doesn't, what I've said so far, include other people. Like, it's just you and God. And while this isn't true for many people, some people are like, that sounds pretty good. Like, God and me? Yeah, like, that's like a spiritual retreat that I could be on. Like, I could be journaling. I could just be on a walk. Like, yeah, God and me, that's, yes, a good God and just me, that's fantastic. But there's also this other reality. Other people. Uh-oh. And there's a, a famous philosopher Satra that said, you know, hell is other people. And the thing that's funny is, you know, when people hear that, because you probably maybe have heard that quote, uh, a lot of people think, oh, that's because other people, like, right, that's hell. Like, it's like, you know, there could be hellish people. Actually, it's not what it's really about. Like this, I'm not going to get too nerdy on you, but this is based on a play. And the play is actually three people uh, kind of talking, you know, arguing in different kinds of relationships. And then it's people around those three people that are saying like who they are and what they're about and what they should do. And so these three characters, they actually say to the people in the round, hell is them, like other people talking about them that they have to negotiate with. Kind of sounds like he's talking about social media to me. This might be like a first reference point. But it turns out like I think hell is other people in that way, like people talking about you and you have to contend with what they're saying. It's not even true. And also, if we're honest, some relationships do have that kind of hellish quality to them. Even the best ones, unfortunately, do. Haters. Haters are real. And so it leaves us with a big question. This is one of the questions I had to ask. It's like, oh man, I'm in this place. Like, should I ask Tina? I think this is going to join my life. I'm going to have to give up my independence. You know how that story turned out. But it's really a question uh, that we have to ask of do I need them? Them. The others. Like the ones that annoy you, the ones that get on your nerves. The ones that are around, you don't even know if that's true, but you worry about that. Do I need them? And when we ask that question, we're actually asking, I think, a few different questions. Or at least I will, because I think it's really important to break it down. You know, when we ask, who I, do I need them? I think we're asking a few different questions. This is what we're going to go through today in this talk. We're asking the question, do I need others at all? Because I think these are tempting questions to say some like, kind of foolishness to. I'm going to insert some help for you. Like, yes. We do need others. But then there's another question. Well, Josh, if I need others, then do I need my idealized, preferred others? Like, the people I want to be around. You know, you might say, like, yes, I do need that. I'm going to say, no. You don't just need just them. And then lastly, do I even need my enemies? And unfortunately, this guy named Jesus said that we have to love our enemies. And so I think the answer is yes. So these are three different ways to ask this question. Do I need them? Do I need them? And the whole thing is we're asking God this question. Because if we ask ourselves, I think I know what's going to happen. We're going to get ourselves off the hook, right? And maybe if we ask other people the question, we just won't trust them. 
Uh, of course my mom would say that. Of course the pastor of the church would say that. Of course this person would say that. But we're asking you to ask God these questions, hoping that God gives some truth, even from a place of interconnectedness that you've developed, even maybe the last few weeks, a place of love, a place of trust. And I actually think these questions sometimes are stages. Maybe they're life stages, questions we ask more at the beginning of our lives and we kind of mature and kind of move on. Maybe they're questions we ask when we're new to a place. We start with this, like, do I even need anyone here at this new job? Do I need to connect with my, you know, uh, kids, like the other parents in the classroom? I keep getting notifications and like the teacher says after that, do I actually have to do that? And then we kind of move to say, well, maybe I'll find like my favorites here, the ones that are like me, the ones that are connected to me or my story. And then things get a little tough. Maybe some people get kind of annoying or worse, become agitators, aggressive even. They could even become enemies, true enemies. And the question is, will you love them even then? So in some ways, these are three questions, but I wonder if they're questions you could almost track on different parts of your life. Whether it's your whole life story, maybe it's since you started a new job, since you moved to a new neighborhood. I wonder if you could think about these, like, have I answered this question? Maybe better yet, have you asked God about these things? So let's start off. We're going to actually just look at part of the big story of God. So we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Just kind of in, looking at different points and out, and then reflecting with one another. Then we'll have a call to prayer at the end, and then we'll kind of conclude our service with more musical worship. But we'll start with that first question. Do I need anyone at all? And as we're going to look at the story of God, uh, there's maybe no better place to begin than the book of beginnings, than this original story. Um, and we see here in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 2, uh, this big creation narrative where God created humanity, God created Adam, and then God looks and says, hmm, the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Now, you might be kind of like speed reading or kind of guessing what the answer is. This isn't actually, you know, now Eve first. Adam gets some animals. He gets some pets. He gets to name them. Gets a little bit of purpose. God's like, nope, I don't think that was it. I don't think that's the only thing. And then we get Eve. We get this woman. We get this partnership, this first relationship. And so we get community. Humans aren't supposed to be alone. We're supposed to be embedded in community. And not just community, deep connection, deep intimacy, deep relationship. And you think that could maybe be the end of the story. Even with like the, you know, brokenness stuff, the sin, you know, all that stuff out of the, out of the garden. Maybe it could still be the end because relationship is still the context for our growth. But we see here that it's hard to love people well. It's hard to see people in community as good all the time. And there's this really hard verse. This isn't usually used for, you know, Sunday school teaching. Oftentimes we don't even talk about this verse, but there's a really hard one just a few chapters later about the same God that created the world saying something very different than, and it was good. We see this a few chapters later in Genesis 6. It says uh, this is a, a time when there's just been so much evil and, and hardship and brokenness. It's right before the story of the flood, another kind of big creation story. And it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Oof. Ouch. 
for someone thinking about like maybe having like roommates next year or not. You're like, back in Genesis 6, it said like every inclination, like every thought, I'm going to have, can I just live by myself, right? Like even God is like, people, y'all, like every inclination, not some, not most, like every inclination. After a few chapters back, he's like, this is great. Like, I want you all to be together. Well, I remember when I found this verse, I just had to spend like a day just being like, really, God? Like about us? But really? Don't, I'm kind of, I kind of, no, never mind. Every inclination. The Lord was sorry that he'd made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so uh, the, the big part of the story is God's looking to see if this is true of everyone. And then he finds this man, Noah, and says, you found favor in my sight. And God develops this kind of new plan to cleanse, to rescue, to destroy, and to restore all at once. And at the end of that story, it seems like something does change. Like humans have been created. Humans have been called into community. Humans have even been blessed in different ways. But there's this new kind of thing that happens that I think does change something for us in our story. And it's that we get a God who commits to us, even in our mess, even in our brokenness, even with like the transparency of who we've been on the record. It's not like we could hide anything. God knew. Like God definitely knew how bad we were. And God makes this new covenant. This is Genesis 9. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So if we had like kind of our papers out, our pens, we're doing a Bible study, like what's a repeating word we see here a lot that seems important? This word covenant, a commitment that God's making, not based on how good it seems like we will do, but just based on who God is as good, that he wants to commit to us in this new way to say, I want to be with you. I want to be your God. And guess what? We're in the text, right? Because it says every generation, not just Noah's, but generations to come, I'm going to make that covenant. It's the first one we see like this in scripture. And it's kind of funny because God chooses Noah, but then God makes a covenant to generations to come. There are these people, right, that every inclination is evil, but Noah is this individual that's done differently, gets to pick his family. But then here we don't just see a promise with Noah, we see a promise with generations to come with all humanity. And this starts our fundamental problem of what if it can just be us? Or really, what if it can just be me that has that good relationship with God? Can't I just have my private time? Can't I just have my quiet time? Can't I just have my spiritual retreat? Can't I just be alone? Well, there's something wrong in the story if we try to do that. Because we see a pattern here, a good pattern, where God interacts with individuals, individuals that are made out of families, 
families that become tribes, a tribe that becomes a nation, this nation of Israel, and then the nation of Israel is blessed to be a blessing, is commanded to bless other nations. So the problem of thinking it's just an individual story is the story we're in is not an individual one. It wasn't for Noah, and it won't be for us. And ultimately, that's a really good thing. But how do we often live our lives? It's very individually, just by ourselves, just in our own world. When we see here, even when God starts small with an individual, it always becomes about the family. It always becomes about the tribe. It always becomes about the nation and then the nations. That's just who God is. And it can make us change our question from, do I need anyone at all? To, do I need to be placed in a bigger story? And for some of y'all, that's the question that you need to be asking today. The question you need to ask God. Is my story too small? Is the individualistic life I'm living, the independence that I actually treasure and cherish, is that story too small for you? That's the question that I needed to be asked when I was wrestling with, should I have this awesome woman who I love so much now as my wife? Like, I don't know. I'm in my feelings about this. I want to be independent. What a fool I was. Really. Like, I just wanted that independence, that sense I could just go anywhere and do anything. Really, I wanted permission to have cut off with anyone in the world. Really, do you catch that? Like, I wanted permission just to cut off everyone and start a new story. And I knew if I got married, I couldn't do it that way. Now, I don't know if anyone's, like, thinking about marriage here, like, wondering about this, because this might be hitting you a little too deep. Sorry. But it's true. Sometimes we have to realize that the way that we're trying to be disconnected from people is because we want to run. Because we think somehow that story is a bigger story. When actually the story of choosing, of being committed, dare I say, covenant is the story we're actually in. And before we can even think about a marriage covenant with someone else, we need to realize God's made a covenant with us. Us individually, but also with our families and with our tribes and with our nation and with our nations. He's taken that singular way that only God can. He can speak to us, but then he draws us into a bigger story. So we worry about kind of our own lives. God's saying, can you wake up to the bigger picture? And can you not run from the story I'm placing you in? Can you not run from interdependence? But can you choose to be in community? Do I need them? God says, I hope you do. Because that would be the story that I'm placing you in. The story where you live. There's a bigger story where you're actually blessed in community. And there's a covenant that God is with you and the people of God. There's more. There are some things that are going to be for some people. Some people that will be for others. Maybe it will be all for you. Enjoy that. But we'll go to the next one. Do I need my idealized others that I prefer over just anybody? A.K.A. can I pick my faves? Can I pick my faves that are just like me or that I really want to be around? I think this is such a temptation is that when we kind of realize, okay, Josh, I get it. Like I have to have other people is we start to curate those others as if it's a, you know, Netflix profile, as if it's a dating profile. Again, maybe too close, too hot. Um, wrong word. Um, but there, there's some ways that we, we start to think, can we just create this community? 
again, I'm just like, this is like a confessional, because like the, the first one is me, this other one is me. So there's this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this book, Life Together. I read it, or at least I read up until this quote, and then I threw it across the, the room. I'm not sure if I ever finished it, to be honest. It was during divinity school. It was a hazy time for me. But it's this, and this is about me for sure, probably still even right now, and it might be about you. Apologies, sort of, but here we go. He says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up by their own law, and judge one another and God accordingly. Like, this is like becoming molten lava fire. The rest of it just is fire so much I was like, our projector will break, so I will not include it. There's even more. But he just goes in, right? Because he's like, you think, Christians, you want community now, but you actually mean like the community you prefer. You moon that, like, well, I'll take one artist, and then, of course, we got to have a social justice person, so we can have that person. And then there's another person I really want to be serious about, people like Bonhoeffer. And then there's another person that, like, we kind of just collect these people. And again, I was, like, the worst at this. I was like, here's what I want. Like, here's what I think, like, a faithful community would be. Like, we got to be about this and that. And Bonhoeffer's saying, Christian community is, is whoever gathers in the name of Christ. It's the community who gathers, not the one that you want the one that you wish for. Where in your life are you kind of okay with community, but it's kind of on demand and in your preference only? That's a big question for us. When we're okay with it, do we just kind of prefer one kind of it? And there's honestly no one I can think about that uh, wrecks this better than the person of Jesus. You know, after all, when Jesus is in his kindergarten classroom and thinking like, who else is God here? Like, oh, I think it's just me. Like, who else knows God as intimately as I do? Oh, still me. Okay, who else knows all the plans about these people? Oh, still me, right? Like, Jesus was a pretty odd person out, like, his whole life. And yet he didn't say, well, let me just go back up to heaven because, like, there's no one like me here, right? Like, he actually got embedded into community. And more than that, like, who else is, like, a God-human kind of point? Like, you see the people he chooses. They're different kinds of people. One's like a rabble-rouser, political, crazy. The other person's a tax collector, kind of ruining the system. And then after all, there's this kind of ordinary miracle uh, that Jesus does, which is just having, you know, 12 close friends in his 30s. Um, no one really talks about that as a miracle. But it, it's true, right? And again, his friends, like, they should be, like, against each other. They should be, like, defeating each other. But they're not somehow. And ultimately, we know part of the story, right? The end of the story, which is Jesus having Judas and Peter. We kind of skipped some of them as the end of Peter's story. But Judas and Peter is people that betrayed him. He doesn't say, hey, I, I'm God, so I can know that, right? So not you two, other two. He actually lets it play out. And I wonder if that's even a phrase that might mean something to us in ECV. Like he lets the relationships play out. He doesn't pre-select them. He doesn't pre-screen them. He says, Judas, come on board. Judas does miracles with Jesus. 
He spends like the most intimate time that you could ever imagine with Jesus. There are times where we're wondering like, what was Jesus like? Like, what would he say? Judas knows because he was there. Peter knew and betrayed him three different times. Jesus didn't pre-screen his friends for a certain kind of obedience, for a certain kind of faithfulness or loyalty. He let the relationships play out. And it seems like that's because of a key posture that he had, a posture of a servant. We see this one of the probably most tragic nights of Jesus' life, the Last Supper. I'm just going to read it in full. And I want you to read, and as I'm reading, I want you to think about the relationships. Really think about the community piece. Like, who was at the table with him? What was going on? The kinds of vulnerability that you would be in as Jesus. And realize that he let it play out. John 13, 1 through 17. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. One of the most intimate nights with Jesus knowing full well what was going to happen. Judas ready to betray. Peter saying, oh, I'm, no, I could never receive that. No, give me everything knowing that just a few hours later, he too would be a betrayer. And yet, what is Jesus' way of being in community? He chooses to serve, to serve others, even those who would hurt him, even those who would choose to kill him, even those that would not kill him, but be really impotent to do anything to stop his death. He chooses a wide group of people. He doesn't choose people who are God. He can't really. He doesn't choose people who are perfect. They're, they don't exist apart from him. He doesn't choose people that would stay with him to the end and be faithful or loyal. He lets it play out from a posture of service. How much more is God sometimes saying to us, you're, you're picking and choosing again. 
you're putting your favorites again. You're, you're kind of picking the people you think would maybe do something back to you, would give you your own reward. Can you let it play out? Can you trust that I'm God, that you're not? Then maybe there'll be an unexpected surprise in community for you. You know, we have to ask the question, do I need a community to be the same as me or as committed as me or as right as me? Or can you just have the people who are around you? Honestly, look at one another. Just take a time just to even look around the room. This is who's gathered here. Some of y'all didn't do that. I I saw (laughs) y'all. Like, this is who's gathered here today as your community. And Jesus, I think, cares a lot about that. And he says, are you ready to play these relationships out? To not screen in the way that we sometimes do not distance in the way that we sometimes do, but to let ourselves be helped and to help, to serve and to be served. Sometimes we say yes to community, but it's a fictional community. It's a community that's not real. Bonhoeffer exhorts us, choose the community, the real community. And Jesus would say the same. It does mean you can be wise about which community you enter who to kind of be in the same room with. I think that's actually totally allowed. That's part of why these choices matter so much. But once you're in the room, once you're in the body, Jesus says, serve and play it out. Are we ready to do that together? Last question. Actually, maybe one more, one kind of more reflection point, the last one. Do I need to serve a bigger community and in serving others, learn to truly love them? Not for what they can do for you, but who they are to God, their creator. It's one of the bigger parts. Once we serve people, we see we actually do love people well. Um, I don't think I need to tell you one of my personal stories about this, but this is just my life a lot. Like seeing people and being like, oh my gosh, this person's like devastatingly annoying. This person is so hard to be with. Tina can tell you there was a person on one of our trips where I was like, Tina, why is this guy always like keep showing up next to us? Like, we don't want to sit next to him. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to be around him. And by the end of the trip, I'm like, I love you so much. Like, you're so great. Like, your story was just so moving. You opened up to me. I opened up to you. If you want to know the full story, it is worth sharing, but I'm not going to choose to use the time that way now. But it's just, it's real. Like, when we persist with people, and serve people especially, we start to feel compassion. And compassion is the gateway to truly loving other people well. I think Jesus did that. He loved Peter well. I mean, when you read the the next part of the story where he reinstates Peter, you can tell he had a love for him. I think he even loved Judas well. Can we be those people that love folks well? Last one, we're touching on a little bit. Do I even need my enemies? Do I even need my enemies? Again, you know the answer from this. I spoiled at the beginning. Yes, yes, and yes. Jesus says, love your enemies. Not just people that would give you rewards. It's one of the ways that like, the love command of Jesus is so different than anyone else, any other teacher. Is he goes beyond just love your family to say, love your enemies. And even in the way the law is summed up, you know, you heard Jesus say um, to a teacher, yeah, the the right answer is love God, love your neighbor. 
Well, by the time Paul gets around to writing this more and more and more, it actually says this in Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's so powerful about this command is your neighbor, it's who you're next to. It's who you're around. It's who's in your community and in your space. This isn't love your family. This isn't love your friend. And the thing that's kind of weird is it's not just love your enemy, right? Like, it doesn't prepare you in that way. Like, your neighbor can really be your enemy. Some of y'all, you're like, I know, my neighbor is my enemy. That dude is straight annoying. It's true. But there's something about that love your neighbor where you don't really know who your neighbor is until you get a little bit closer to where you live, to your own surrounding, to your setting. And by that point, your neighbor really can be someone who's against you, really can be someone who is turned to be against and to be different. You know, the, the person that wrote this, you know, this is the Apostle Paul. And I always think it's so rich just not to read what Paul wrote, but to remember his story. That Paul, someone, you know, originally saw who was against the church. When he says love your neighbor, part of what was so hard for the early disciples to do was to love him because he killed their friends. Part of what was so hard probably for Paul to love others was he had a narrative of, I was just against those people. And now I'm being called by God to love them and to love them well. Are there people that you're actually against? People that you might not want to share even this space with? Are there people who have hurt you and people you know you've hurt? Jesus says, love them. Love even your enemies. It's going to be a rich conversation for you to get into, God, do I need them, though? Do I need them? When I was in college, something really weird happened. Um, I was applying to be uh, a counselor uh, for students my senior year, kind of like um, an RA or something like that. It was kind of a special program. And I remember uh, I ended up getting in the program, and they switched my college, my kind of dorm affiliation, because of part of what the program was. And I was with this dean that was, um, I'm trying to use, think about the best way of saying it, um, hmm, was just like a really, really difficult person. And it was difficult in the way that like they were kind of um, not always there, like our present. They were a little bit like spacey, right? So people came to know like, oh, like you're in a conversation with this person, but like you're not really. Like, they're not going to remember. They're going to be, like, a little bit too aggressive. They're going to, like, think you're someone else. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're black. You're, you're, he's definitely going to think you're, like, a different black person than you are. Like, so just get ready. And I started to ask, like, okay, why would I get set up with such a difficult experience? And I remember the person who picked me for the role said something. And this is, like, um, you know, I live my life through kind of Harry Potter metaphors, for better or for worse. And so this was, like, a person that had been kind of, like, watching me for four years, kind of like a Dumbledore-esque figure. It just had been, like, I'm watching you. I know what you're doing. Like, sometimes we had rough times, but, like, they're kind of watching. And they said this, Josh, I put you with this person because I know that you can, like, kind of handle or can deal or you're going to learn something from them. And I was like, dang it. No, I don't want that. But, like, exactly, no thank you. But I can tell you that whole year I was with this difficult dean. Actually, something was happening in me where I was, like, learning how, like, Sometimes I had to, like, do some moves and, like, do some, like, you know, I was, like, kind of, like, there was a flow to it. I was, like, I'm actually learning how to deal with this person. Like, and something's happening in me where I'm, like, oh, I'm actually way too easily angered. 
I have way too many value buttons that like this person's pushing, they're actually about me and they're not about like him or the space. Like things just actually make me upset. And I realized that there was like so much growth that I had by learning to love this person. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm loving them. And like it was a great like big task where I was like, wait, like I actually had a lot of problems. And I could slow down and reflect that. A word that we don't like to hear but is so important for us is sometimes like enemies, annoyers, accusers. Sometimes these people are in our lives because guess what, y'all? We need to grow too. And people actually maybe aren't as against us as we think. They're just really triggering a lot of things that we haven't dealt with ourselves. Sometimes we call people enemies, but they're actually not personally against us. There's just some things that we haven't dealt with in our own story, some unresolved things, that when we choose to love people, God talks about that. When we start asking God about the other person, guess who God starts talking about? It's about us. The finger that we want to point outward God often turns and points in. Doesn't mean there aren't real enemies out there. There aren't real aggressors. There aren't real people we need to be boundaried from, secure from. That's all true. But a lot of the times, if our friends were honest and we're like, da 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 our friends are like, you realize like this person wasn't really, wait, I can't say that because I want to still be friends with you, right? If you've been there, you've been there. If you know, you know. But like part of why Jesus says love your enemies is because there's something that happens to us when we love them. We actually change. We transform. We grow. So those are three different windows into why we need them. Because we want to be a part of the bigger story, like the real story, right? Because we want to be people that don't just pick our friends, pick our little community, but are actually open to the community, the Christian community and the wider community that God places us in and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we actually want to be open even to enemies, people that would seek to harm us, maybe people where their harm is right now just annoying us. But God still wants us to be open to them. I don't know which door feels the the one that you need to enter today. I don't know which invitation feels like the weighty one for you. But I do know this. You need other people. And you need other people more than you think not for any piety or virtue, but actually you need it for your own growth. You need it for your own calling. You need it for yourself to be placed in this big story that's a real story with God. I'm going to give you a few invitations, then we're going to move to a time of prayer. The first one is, I want you to ask, where do you resist community? Now, that's a hard one, especially for people that are choosing to come here, like, at church. You're like, dude, you should be preaching this to people that aren't here. Okay, maybe they'll listen to the recording. Maybe you'll send it to them. I get it. But, like, you're here, and I've still got to preach to you. Like, and I think often we still do resist community, if we're honest. Because this isn't the same thing as maybe just ten people talking about what's going on in your life. There have been times where I've come to church, but I haven't let people really get into my life. And it was because of specific reasons. Maybe some things I didn't want people to know about my own sin. Things I was scared people would learn about uh, things I was dreaming about, and I didn't know would they be for me or against me. Would they really be a champion for me, or would they just be like, whatever? Maybe I was just weak at that time, and I didn't want to let people into that weakness. Where are you resisting community? Just identify that place. 
Second thing, how can you invest in home groups, small groups we have here at ECV almost every day of uh, the week, triads, groups that Patrick puts together that are for smaller, even more intimate relationships, maybe even a specific group of people. It's not through those things, but you just know, I need a handful of people to walk with in my life. How can you invest in that? You know, there are some easy answers, like the home groups are on the website. You could choose those. You could go, right? You could talk to Patrick. But just think about, like, how can you actually go deeper in community to start working this stuff out? And last, reflect on how loving enemies may bear fruit in your life. Really think about, like, how could it be that loving an enemy would actually help you grow? And then choose to bless a difficult person this week. These are our, you know, invitations for today. But I believe God has some more things that he's speaking and doing. So I just want to take some time just to be quiet before the Lord and to see what the Holy Spirit might be up to right now. So Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing? Maybe it'll be through a physical sense. Maybe it'll be through a soft voice, still voice that's uh, maybe even like our own, but it feels like it has weight to it. Maybe it's through scripture that just you remember right now. And let's ask God a question. God, what are you doing in this room? What are you doing to help us move forward with this question of do we need them? I feel like there's a specific invitation. I'm going to share it, and I'm going to ask if people resonate um, to stand just as a way of being present in community. And then if you're around those people, you can put a hand, you can pray for them. Uh, but it's two kinds of people, or two kind of groups. Um, I'm going to ask you both to stand. Um, but the, the first group is a group that when you were introduced to following Jesus however recent or uh, long ago that was, one of the things that you were sort of committed to, connected to, loved, was this sense that we get in Scripture that strangers can become family. It's in Psalm 68 that says, God places the lonely into family. And so the, the kind of uh, invitation here is that if that was you, if that was something that, you know, when you were early on in your journey following Jesus, you're like, I love Jesus, or I love this faith because of that. Um, in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand, because whether you're still in that posture or whether you faded from it, I just want to invite you to kind of say yes again to that, if that was something that drew you to faith, because I think God has something for you. And then the second one is, it's not that that was the way you started your journey, but that's just something that resonates with you now. Like, you're actually, like, wanting the faith to say, like, yes, like, I want to be a person that can join God in the mission to have uh, people who are lonely step into family, which I think is a particular way of seeing God and seeing the story of God. So God is blessing everyone in this room. No one has to stand. That's just a way that we're responding. 
But it's really for those two groups, whether you felt like at the beginning of your story of faith, that's really important to me, that God's placing the lonely into family, or if right now that's really resonant for you, that you believe that can happen, like strangers can become family to one another. I just want to invite you to stand and to kind of choose that again, to say that you are desiring that still, that that's something you're for and you believe in, because I feel like that's really hard to do, actually. And it's really hard to believe in, like, day after day, week after week, year after year. And I just want to um, ask God to pour out his spirit and his power. Because if we're honest, when we have that kind of, like, uh, desire, we get hurt a lot. Because strangers often hurt us. Um, enemies often hurt us. We feel pretty vulnerable. And so if you're around these people and you're comfortable with that, I'd love you just to stretch out your hand and if you're even more comfortable or open to just coming around someone and actually standing with them, maybe even placing a hand on their shoulder, I'd invite you to do that, to kind of step into community. I'm just going to pray for these people. You know, later if you get words for them or have a sense, you can share that. But I just really feel like God wants just another wave of trust, another wave of yes, and God wants to give another wave of support right now for you. So Holy Spirit, would you support these folks as they're doing something very vulnerable, they're open for strangers that could hurt, that could maim, that could harm. They're open for those people to become family. And God, would you pour out your support? Would you pour out your resources? We say we need these folks in the body because they're part of like the sticky people that let outsiders in. They become bridges, not just doors. They're actually bridges. So God, help these folks be strengthened in your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill these folks so they can be ready to do it again. And I don't know what's next in your season, but I feel like God's highlighting this word for you because of courageous decisions you're going to make to not to stay in community, but to be a bridge for folks you don't know. To be radically open, of course, to receive the blessing, but even open to receive maybe some harm or hardship that just comes from people who say yes to things like this. God, I, I thank you for what you're doing in this room and in this space, because part of what you're doing is you're just saying that we're a community that's open to that promise from Psalm 68, that you place the lonely into families, and we all play a part in that. But God, I pray that you would bless these ones in the Holy Spirit. Bless these ones right now. Yes, God.